The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seal and I'm joined today by The Spectator's political editor Katie Balls and Conservative Homes editor Paul Goodman. Now Katie, you've written on Coffee House today about the challenge on Israel and Palestine facing the two main party leaders. Tell us about this. So we saw in the chamber on Monday a real show of unity, solidarity between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Rishi Sunak reiterating the UK's support to Israel, its right to defend itself, also saying this should be within the confines of international law, not particularly shocking a statement, and saying uh, when it comes to the Palestinian people that where can be avoided, civilians ought to be protected. And in response to this, Keir Starmer didn't even really ask any questions or say anything critical. Instead, he said, you know, there are some times when the House must come together and we need to show that we are united in terms of condemning Hamas and the attack and so forth. And Keir Starmer, again, talking about the need to keep in line with international law. In the questions from MPs, I think the Liberal Democrats and also a handful of Labour MPs were a little bit more sceptical or I say hostile to the Rishi Sunak statement in the sense they were saying, well, are you sure that when it comes to uh, what clearly some have denied as a humanitarian crisis, but others believe is, you know, the turning off the water, electricity, that international law has so far been stuck to. And I think the question is, right now, and I think this is certainly the case in Liverpool last week, we've all said, wow, look how different the Labour Party is. It's very united on the issue. And also they're in lockstep with the Tories. But I think this is probably the, it's too early, I think, to make that judgment call. Because if we do get a grand invasion, as is broadly what has been briefed out by the Israelis, the expectation of various figures working in, uh, in the foreign offices of different governments, then that's going to be the point where both Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer are going to come under pressure as to, well, do you think this counts as restraint against civilians if you start to see difficult scenes? And I think probably, and there's something I know Paul's written about, I think probably the two different challenges are, I think for Rishi Sunak, it's less about a backlash within his party or different views. Yeah. I think for Rishi Sunak, it's going to be about making sure, we already saw the scenes at the weekend for various protests, some of, you know, pictures of paragliders on their back, making sure that there is as we expect, further turmoil in the Middle East, it doesn't spill out into further anger on the streets in the UK. And then I think for Keir Starmer, that tightrope he's been walking in terms of keeping his party unified behind his position will become trickier if we do start to see quite difficult scenes involving civilians in Gaza. Um, Paul, you were watching the debate in Parliament yesterday and you were charting up sort of broadly which side each MP was coming on and you, you sort of conclude as a result of this that you know, Rishi Sunak was therefore was swimming with the current of Tory backbench opinion and Keir Starmer against that of Labour backbench opinion Talk us through your reflections on that debate yesterday Well judging what an MP said is more of an art than a science and people might contest my reading of what individual MPs said but it was pretty clear looking at the two sets of backbenches that on the Conservative side, you had about, by my count, roughly 25 or so 
questions that were broadly supportive of Israel or focused on Jews in Britain, and about four on the conservative side that was supportive of the Palestinians and focused on the plight of the Palestinians in Gaza. On Labour, the numbers were roughly reversed. So this raised a very big management question for Keir Starmer, which is, I think, this. If, as you and Katie are saying, the Israelis, or rather when, the Israelis go into Gaza on the ground, if Hezbollah come in on Israel's northern border, if there's trouble in the West Bank, if there are riots in Israel itself, if the trouble spills over into Jordan, which is very fragile, if Iran becomes involved, this disturbance that we've seen is only going to accentuate. And you've already seen there are you know, Jewish schools that are, that are closed, and there are a lot of very angry pro-Palestinian demonstrators who are unhappy about events in Gaza. If this continues along the present path, the pressure on Keir Starmer is going to be incredible. Uh, because these Labour MPs are on the whole representing city seats with lots of students and large proportions of Muslim, often Kashmiri Pakistani voters. And their voters are not going to let up, and they're not going to let up. Now, the Labour people I speak to say that they think Starmer can withstand the pressure, whether you think that's right or wrong, but I'm not so sure. Katie, Paul also writes from Conservative Home talking about the government's response in terms of managing the British element to all of this. Talked a little about the Foreign Office dimension, but in terms of the Home Office facing those kind of protests that we've seen, schools having to be shut in London last week. What's the sense, I think, when the, you know, the Conservative Party of the government's grip on all of this, broadly the line is health for now, but Paul, in his, his article, sort of talks about things such as the Department of Health putting up Israel's flag and then removing it. And he asked the question, ministers are trying to get it back up again, who's in charge? Is there a sense of the government being in charge of events? I think one of the tricky things is you have the government putting out quite hard rhetoric, as tends to particularly be the case with the Home Office, and saying, we will find you if you had you know, certain pictures on you during the protests at the weekend, but yet no update as to where they've actually found those people. And therefore, I think they're playing a little bit of a dangerous game if you're going to suggest mm. that you were going to do something hard line, and then it seems as though you're actually quite impotent and you don't have the power to do so. So I think that's one of the risks of the current approach. Um, there's also a question as to whether you go as far as some European countries in terms of just banning protests on various issues, something which I think could have the effect of showing that you don't have the control to ban such things if they then occur anyway. And therefore, I think what has happened so far in terms of, if you think about the pro-Palestine protests, I mean, some of those have been pro-Palestine, not pro-Hamas. Mm. But the problem is, if you get xx number of people thousands of people in one space then the chance of you having someone who crosses the line and makes it what i think can be read as a pro Hamas demonstration clearly rises and then the whole thing can be seen as such i think for now i do not get the sense that you know mps are particularly worried the government has lost control on this I just think that if we had to, depending on what now happens in Gaza, if we had to a uh, place where things get worse, and obviously we know the number of 
you know, anti-Semitic hate crime is on the rise. I think we are not particularly seen as an outlier compared to other European countries at the moment in terms of what we're seeing. It's just that you can't have it spill further. And one thing I was interested actually in your blog, Paul Ho, don't you mind me asking, is when you're, I suppose, almost game planning what could happen in an event where you get to a place where, you know, things do spill further. You talk about potentially a campaign, but you also suggest a potential reshuffle if it was an emergency situation. Is that about which sectors of state might not be up for what could follow? I think if it was an emergency, the very first thing that Rishi Sunak would have to do, uh, however unpleasant it might be, is get Keir Starmer in to form some sort of common front. That's not very dramatic. I mean, you saw David Lammy and James Cleverly in the TV studio on Sunday being kind of photographed sort of hugging each other. So that's, 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 that's there. You, know, you might then need a, a, a shuffle that tried to maximise public confidence in the politicians that, that you had. I think we are way, way off that. That would also depend, frankly, on the efficacy of what the government does. And as you were suggesting a few moments ago, that's really rather up in the air. The Home Office says, and I think perfectly fairly, that, look, it's very hard to please a demonstration. You don't want to sort of start a, 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 a riot. Some of the things that are being said at the famous From the River to the Sea chant are not considered by the CPS to be at the threshold for prosecution. And they make quite a good case. However, I think you're basically right to suggest that there's an element of the Home Office needs to kind of show us the money, how many people have been prosecuted, how many people are being prosecuted for sort of stuff online. And above all, I think that the Met being here in in London at the centre of government will be reasonably up to speed with the challenge I wonder if all the provincial police forces are, after all, it took the Leicestershire Constabulary quite a while to get on top of those Hindu-Muslim tensions in Leicester recently, which had previously been seen as a model of multicultural cooperation. Okay. And finally, Paul, Peter Bone has now lost the Tory whip. It looks likely that there's going to be the usual process whereby we could end up in a by-election. Tell us about your thoughts on this. Peter Bone has just joined this ever-burgeoning group now a large group and a group that no one much seems to want to be a member of who are the independents you know, a large number of whom are, are suspended like Nick Brown against whom there are these accusations we don't know I don't know much about the Peter Bone case other than it seemed, it seemed to me as far as actually looking at it that it was a case of one person's word against another's mm. so I'm presuming that the authorities who made a decision have got some particular reason for thinking that the word of the person other than Peter Bone should should carry weight. And I think what's interesting is it does raise questions about how the Tory party handles complaints because there's one thing when it's a he said, she said, he said, he said, she said, she said, we'll cover mm. everything there. But the fact these complaints were so long-standing and yet if you think back, to when Boris Johnson's very short of ministers, when he'd you know faced a confidence vote, he survived it, but then there were mass resignations. Boris Johnson actively promoted Peter Bone, and that would be a, a period where his government knew the complaints that were there, but he was so short of people they still chose to do so. So I think it does raise some questions about not just you know when you perceive them, but were you really in a place where that should have been a promotion you made? It shows you that that trade of perhaps between survival and what you think you should do. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.